Hey listeners, I just wanted to give a quick heads up that this week's episode is actually much shorter than the version you can hear on our Patreon page. That's right, go and join our Patreon where five of the last six episodes have extended versions. This one is especially a very good one because it's almost 40 minutes longer. That's right, 40 extra minutes. It's such good content. I felt bad cutting it myself, but you know what? We got to give our patrons the little extra. So why don't you go to patreon.com slash the mixed reviews and sign up now. Also, you can do a seven day free trial before committing to signing up for the whole shebang. So do that. Come on. It's fun. All right. On with the show. Kevin. Hey, Louie. Um, tell me how pretty I am again. You look, oh my god, like what is this, like hazelnut skin tone? What <laughs> wow, is happening? Wow, wow. Yeah. I, 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 I'm Shoko Crow soaking up the sun, okay? Um, even though today it was raining uh, here in the yeah, city. Yeah, literally the sun didn't come out today, but and sure, really, whatever. <laughs> I previously was soaking up the sun, you know, summer... I guess is over now, but it wasn't last week. Um, and so, yeah, I'm fine, fresh, fierce, bikinis on top, all those good things. Um, I'm so excited to be doing this episode. I'm so excited. This is our second uh, monthly version of the podcast. And I, I just think it's going so, so well. And we're fucking killing it. Um, so welcome, everyone. <laughs> this is The Mixed Reviews. We are a film podcast where we take a film subject such as an actor, director, or a mini genre. We take a month, we take as much information in as we can, watch as many movies, and then we zoom it all back out to you into your eyes and your ears. Yeah, you guys get a whole lot of mixed reviews. Um, Gavin, last episode we talked about Ryan Gosling. Um, it was hot and spicy, babe, and I loved it. it was. I, I, was ta- I was talking to all the girlies about, Gavin, he's so fucked up. He doesn't even like the notebook. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm sorry. I just don't fall for those birdie wiles. That's all. Um, We also sometimes bring a very special guest onto the show to mix up the reviews with us. Um, For this episode, we are very happy and excited to have Miss Sophia. Is it Simonello? Is that right? That's right. Yep. Simonello. I I, I fucking nailed that. First of all, I nailed that. Gavin would have flopped that so hard. You have no idea how I like literally I'm a listener of your podcast. Uh, I will admit that you co-host Oscar Wilde and it's a wonderful, wonderful podcast. And I listened to the way you pronounce your last name like 70 times in case I was the one that introduced (laughs) you. But Louis just took it and ran. So it's a tricky one. So good job. But, oh. but it, you know, it, all the vowels are in the right place. Like, I have a mm-hmm. sneaky I in the last name that does nothing. That just right. medius. <laughs> like, I, li- I like that you're, like, <laughs> you didn't even do it wrong, and you're still, like, protecting yourself about, like, <laughs> yeah. you wouldn't have anyway. <laughs> I wouldn't. Um, so, Sophia, first of off, before we get started, how do you feel about The Notebook? I actually <laughs> grew up loving The Notebook. So I really enjoyed but you sense come that to your you senses. picked that I get it. for I your five-star review. <laughs> it wouldn't be mine, but I did, you know, I felt that twinge in my heart from when I was, you know, in middle school, Perfect, watching The yeah. Notebook, falling Absolutely. in love with Ryan Gosling. 
Absolutely. I, um, I love that that was both a compliment and a read. It was like, yeah. Louie, you have the taste of a teenage girl. Excellent, excellent. Based on who we're talking about today, I really am just, I think, getting into mm. the groove for that mm. already. Yeah. Um, By the end of this, you're going to be calling us little homosexual boys. I yes, get it. Yes, yes, yep. Allegedly, allegedly. Allegedly. Just yes. putting it in a... Um, a little bit of old business. Uh, speaking of Ryan Gosling and the notebook, we asked you guys to go online and vote for your favorite um, Ryan Gosling performance. And I think we have a surprise upset, you know, poll going on here. Yeah, uh, here absolutely. Are the, here are the results. Um, in last place is Half Nelson at 14%. That was Gavin's pick. Probably one of his like lesser watched, but still devastating. Very good. Um, my pick, the notebook, came in at third place with 15%. Um, Barely edging it out. Yeah. Lots of edging with Ryan Gosling. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I like to have fun. Uh, In second place, we had La La Land at 31%. I put that on because... It is the fan fave. Like the, the girls do yeah. like it. I know mm-hmm. um, we had we had some spicy takes and and some um, you know fans online saying like boo why is that there? But it is what it is. Um, and in first place, Blue Valentine, forty percent. Can you believe? Yeah. Um, in a in a shocking uh, uh, nice guys really. I thought maybe underwatched, mm-hmm. underseen. Netflix yeah. is doing Netflix is doing the good work because we had so many people write in saying the nice guys, nice guys, nice guys. Absolutely. Um, I do. I do think uh, Blue Valentine is absolutely a worthwhile choice. And so hats off to the audience. And I'm glad so many people have seen it. Um, La La Land. I don't know. See more movies. Whoa. That's all I'll say. <laughs> we also had uh, we had people mention Barbie, of course. Um, a Brave Soul said Murder by Numbers. Um, um, I know who that Brave Soul is. Seek help. <laughs> um, we also had someone give a shout out for Blade Runner 2049. Beautiful gowns. Um, so yeah, lots of, uh, uh, there are wide, um, and various options. Uh, Sophia, what would you choose for your favorite Ryan Gosling film? Yeah. So mine actually wasn't mentioned and I'll just start by saying Ryan Reynolds may be my enemy, but I do Mm -hmm. love Ryan Gosling. And this was a really tough call because I do love his work in comedies and musicals. I feel like he's such a good physical actor so I was tempted to go with one of those but I actually went with First Man which oh, I think yeah. is his superior Chazelle film and performance and I'm from Ohio and so is Neil Armstrong so I actually had to learn about this ad nauseum in school growing <laughs> up and I really didn't think I was going to care at all about this movie when it came out and I kind of reluctantly went to see it, but I was so unexpectedly moved by Ryan Gosling and his portrayal of this character. I felt like it was really internal, really different from some of these big, loud biopic performances that we yeah. usually see with yeah. releases like this. So yeah, I would go with that one, but I love him in Blade Runner 2049, Beautiful Gowns. Beautiful Gowns. Barbie, <laughs> Beautiful I gowns. thought he stole the show. I mean, I also Same. love Margot in it, but he was just like, he needs to be again in more musicals and comedies i do love him in the notebook blue valentine but yeah i think i would pick first man excellent choice. i like that choice yeah, yeah that's thanks. a really good choice wanted to be you know go a little a little out there so she's a little bit different <laughs> than the other girls <laughs> up to space yeah uh, gavin before we jump into this week's um topic um we have a little bit of old business as well um i know you have a couple of shout outs and, and reviews you wanted to read? Yes, uh, we got a lovely, lovely email from Della, who is from Sydney, Australia. 
and they said, gay guys talking film is my absolute jam. I came to you guys via a guest on Kevin Jacobson's podcast. Shout out to Chels. I guarantee that was Chels. Um, thank you all for yes. all the research and making us aware of the films to see that we may not have come across. Please consider Chloe Savigny as a future sus- subject. Suspect. Suspect. Wow. <laughs> Uh, for her superior talent, interesting choices, and enduring career. You will surely enjoy that research. Cheers from Sydney. I have a very, very brief um, Chloe Savigny story that endeared me so much more to her um, last year. Uh, I actually won't say where I was, just in, just in case, to protect okay. any future job prospects. But I was in proximity of Chloe Savigny, um, and she was waiting to do the talk back of bones and all uh during one of its premieres last year and she was standing next to her agent and she was like do i have to stay for the talk back and her agent was like yeah (laughs) and she goes i'm not even in this fucking movie (laughs) (laughs) and so i i was like you know what i feel the same i feel if i were you mm -hmm." you're like and that's the last (laughs) time i'm going to that wendy's in midtown (laughs) Ma'am, this like is a Wendy's. <laughs> living in New York, everyone has a Chloe Seven U story. Yeah, where yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. She's just New Yorking she, about. She is. She's <laughs> truly a staple and truly great. So actually, I think that is a wonderful suggestion. Um, we yeah. also received a new review on iTunes, which I want to thank you about. If you've not left us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts, please go there, leave us a five-star rating, write us a little review. This one comes from Dimuma22, and it says, Incredible deep dives for fans and casuals. Gavin and Louie host an incredible podcast where they deep where they dive in deep, but don't let that intimidate you because these hosts make it accessible for one and all. If you like any of the topics covered, start there, but know that you are going to get hooked and these folks will hold your hand while you discover something new. Aw, I love holding awesome. hands with casuals. I really oh, do. Absolutely. <laughs> the, uh, it's the people you know you can't trust. Um, <laughs> and finally, I just want to give a shout out to Morgan Roberts, who recently became an all-star Patreon patron. And Thank that you, is Morgan. one of the yeah, that is one of the handouts. And Morgan is a, a good friend of ours. And she was on one of our previous episodes. Actually, she's been on a couple episodes. So, like, go check out her episodes. Wait, I thought she had only done the director episode. What's she her, did uh, Lynn Shelton. She also Lynn did Shelton. my... my oh, um, your Christmas moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't like to talk about that. No, don't That's talk the about Dark that. Ages. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we also wanted to mention, you know, uh, this this episode is our 140th episode, um, and we've been doing this for over five years now, and we are so excited to announce that we are part of the Glitter Jaw Network, um, which is just, you know, a bunch of uh, podcasts about media f- through the queer lens and perspective, and when me and Gavin saw that, we said, wait, that's, are they talking about us? <laughs> Yeah, they were like, oh, are are these our family? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're very excited to be part of, uh, you know, this collective, this group, and, um, you know, exciting stuff to come. Yeah, um, they're brand new. They just started last week, but they have a spate of other podcasts that I really recommend you go check out, including uh, Walloping Web Snappers, um, Gimmicks, uh, Are You My Mother, which has not launched yet, but will be launching sometime within the new year. Uh, yeah, just a great, just a cadre of like, I've, I've just never seen anybody so prepared before when they launched and announced, I was like, oh, they're like serious. Yeah. So they had like, that cadre ready to go. They had the cadre. <laughs> Listen, I love a cadre. A good cadre. Mm. Throw, throw a little lemon zest in that. Mm-hmm. Get yourself going. 
Um, but okay, enough old business. Uh, Sophia came here with a song in her heart and a story to tell. Okay. Um, so Sophia, I want you to tell the listeners, who are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about the great Faye Dunaway, who, mm. to quote Max, the William Holden character in Network, I know I'm obsessed with her. And I really have been for years now. I feel like she's <laughs> such an explosive actress and persona. And mm-hmm. when you guys asked me to be on, I was thinking of, you know, different people we could cover. And Faye and her long career and the reputation that she has just felt like the perfect deep dive. So yeah. I'm so excited to talk about her. She is the original dangerous woman, okay? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I I will admit I had not seen a lot of her movies. I saw Bonnie and Clyde because we did Warren Beatty, you know, um, mm-hmm. last year. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I hadn't even seen Mommy Dearest, you know, like. Oh, my God. She, wow. You, you we have a lot to talk about. You want to know what's something <laughs> very embarrassing? The first thing I saw Faye Dunaway in was none other than the WB's Starlet. Um, no. When, when she oh iconic, God. when she iconically said, "This is not the Jessica Simpson School of Acting." <laughs> and, <laughs> wow, and it, I did not expect us to start with Starlet. I was waiting like that was going to come way at the back of the show, but yeah, yeah. Starlet. I'm glad we're here already. Um, <laughs> but it's funny because like the Starlet on the WB was the Jessica Simpson School for Acting. You know, like yes. I don't, I don't know what she was thinking in her head it was but it was I found that. an amazing clip by the way for those who don't know and I guess we should explain Starlet was a reality television program um on the WB that was in uh t- 2005 and I think it, it was only one season right yeah um just one and it was mm-hmm. and the it was like gone sorry <laughs> No, no. I was. Well, I was just gonna say that's like America's Next Top Model, but for acting. acting. Like it. It wasn't like our our reality competitions now, where like you just see them in the competition. They had to live together, and mm-hmm. you know, the winner won uh, I, a guest arc on Veronica Mars. <laughs> wow! Perfect for the time. Like perfect you really. Can't I have do seen all that. of Veronica Mars. I didn't even know that season two. <laughs> Season two, I clocked her immediately because I wow. I don't know why I watched that show religiously. Um, I remember the it was final only six acting, episodes. You can't final, base whole church on that. The final acting challenge was them doing a scene from Friends, and the two girls were like, "Oh well, Rachel is the more like basic one. I want to be Phoebe." But then turns out the Rachel character was better, and she won. Mm-hmm. Drama. Yeah, anyway, yeah, that's the. I I found a good clip of of Faye fighting with Vivica A. Fox, one of the other judges on the panel. Mm-hmm. about the performances during that scene. <laughs> I was surprised that you were funny. Yeah, but you did not play the scene. Vivica, I, I don't, don't agree think she with played you. the scene. She didn't. She sat there and I... talked out to the audience. Sometimes you of need course to you have, have the audience out every to hear it, though, Faye, when you're, you're aware. doing a comedy you're not gonna in front of an audience. Stage. She had to do something to get some of the, the jokes to work. Yeah, but At they least... were connecting. I'm not quite so sure why. If, are you laughing or crying? You mustn't cry again. I know the one. It's special. <laughs> Sophia, Gavin, how, how did you guys come to uh, Faye in, in your lives? Yeah, Guess first. I, I came to Faye with Network First, which is such a wow. big one. But we, I remember, watched it in high school at, for one of my classes. And sure. I just thought she was amazing. Like, she had this like evil quality to her. She was this 
villainous, dangerous persona, but I thought she was also just so beautiful. I loved her clothes and I just like loved everything about her. And I felt like she was just such an interesting actress and how she just ran the movie, right? She's with all of these huge actors who we'll talk about when we get into the movie, but I just felt like it was completely hers and I had never seen anything like that before. So I, from there, then I think over the years decided to visit more of her filmography and just about me too. I love the seventies as a decade in cinema history. And she, I think is just such a core part of that. And I started to notice that some of my other favorite films from like the late sixties and early seventies, she was a part of, and there was a reason for that. So yeah, I, I feel like too, just getting so interested in her reputation and anytime an actor specifically an actress, let's be honest, has a bad reputation for being a diva. I always want to dig into that and see if that's, you know, if it has any weight to it or if people are being a little harsh. And I think it can be both in Faye's case. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We we actually talk about that a lot on this show because, I mean, the the dreaded wording of difficult is Mm -hmm. such a plague when it comes to actresses specifically. I do want to read a... Yeah, it's it is yeah. sexist, uh, but I do think you're right about Faye, and we will get into it a little more. Um, but I I do want to read just a a small passage from her book, Looking for Gatsby, her autobiography, required, which I believe required reading. It really yes. is a treat. <laughs> I believe it came out in like '96, so it's like 20 years old at this point. So, but um. She says, and yet the confrontation with Roman follows me and is largely responsible for a label I dislike. Difficult. Another way to say it is perfectionist. You know, God is in the details. I do want to get it right. The fact that a man can be difficult and people applaud him for trying to do a superior job. People say, well, gosh, he's got a lot of guts. He's a real man. And a woman can try and get it right. And she's a pain in the ass. It's in my nature to do really good jobs. I would never have been successful if I hadn't. Say that. She is a she's a Capricorn. That fits. <laughs> uh, as as I am. So oh god, watch oh. out, girlies. <laughs> uh, Gavin, do do you remember when you first um, came to know Faye Dunaway? It's actually the same. Um, I um, I don't think I saw her in anything prior to Network, and I think I watched Network. Um, I'm probably slightly older than you, Sophia, but the when I first started like get getting into film and like I knew Network yeah. had this very important reputation and uh and I just sort of fell in love with her character because I think she brings such nuance to a really difficult human being because there's never a point when you watch Network in which her character doesn't feel human, but she's awful uh, she's also awfully broad caricature of somebody who like is completely obsessed with the um with work with, with the gaining but with the gaining of power that that mm. her work brings mm-hmm. and uh it, i think it's fascinating and from there you know i i sought out bonnie and clyde and I, I saw some of the earlier stuff and then probably like the third or fourth thing i saw her in was mommy dearest which was a, a movie i really liked as a teen and i rewatched it for this and i was like oh no so but we'll talk about it we'll talk about it you know it's funny we've done um we, joan crawford was one of our episodes we did mm-hmm. a couple years ago yeah. now 
And I I worry that my I had not seen this movie until now for this. And I think our coverage of Joan has really colored my experience because I was like, I'm ready for fun now. And it wasn't fun. Um, yeah. I mean, even but, Christina Crawford in doing the research for this, even Christina Crawford has said that that's that the movie was not an accurate portrayal of Joan Crawford. So, you know, if if everybody's yeah. saying it, then yeah. Mm. Okay, but Faye well, thought so. Yeah, for a hot minute, <laughs> Faye did, uh, and then she said, well, uh, "But we'll get all, we'll get into all of that and more." So why don't we get started and get into the rewind? The one thing about Faye is that she has a very long career, like Sophia said. Um, I certainly didn't get to everything, but I feel with no, neither did all I. three of us. We will, we will yeah. all have our bases covered and feel good about it. So um, here we go. Dorothy Faye Dunaway was born January 14th, 1941. Um, she was, um, you know, kind of an army brat. She, her father was uh, a non-commissioned officer in the army. Um, her mom, Grace, was a housewife. Um, they moved around a lot, finally settled in Florida. I read, like, in bits and bobbles that you know, life was kind of tough. Obviously, her parents got, got divorced and that was tough for her. But even before then, she said there was a lot of alcoholism and drinking. Yes. Uh, she also, um, I mean, it's Florida. Okay. So already. <laughs> she is such a Florida girl. Yeah. Like, it yeah, just makes absolutely. sense. <laughs> Chaos. It's it's so funny because I found um, an interview with her from when she was much younger before she wrote her book, um, saying like making the point that like she's like we were not poor we were lower middle class mm-hmm. right and then she- in her book it makes it sound like dirt roads like dirty dresses <laughs> peanut boils like oh my I was God. just like well somebody has had a bit of time to right. revise their personal history. <laughs> we were lower middle class, uh, you well, know, it was cool. not poor. It was a difficult childhood, beginning from the divorce, really, because that is, is difficult emotionally, and I, I imagine financially. It was a bit less uh, less uh, of an easy life than it was before. Yeah. Right, because like in certain articles, like in, it, it reads one way, but then like something else, you're like, oh wait, she was literally doing beauty pageants. So it just kind mm-hmm. of, even if it mm-hmm. is like, quote unquote white trash it's white trash enough that like you know you have yeah. the luxury of spend money on gowns and like you know parade yourself around like she makes very clear in her book dorothy Fay and faye dunaway are two different people and as the the legend yeah. of faye dunaway has grown i think the story of dorothy faye has changed a bit she took ballet tap piano classes um singing lessons growing up so she and she said that she's always she even before she like got into theater or, you know, movies. She wanted to be a star. She wanted to be an actress. Um, She studied at Florida State University and University of Florida, so she is not loyal. Cool. Um, And then... She went to both state schools, hmm. uh, and then, but she, but she graduated from Boston University, uh, and she, she studied theater there. Um, You know, she kind of i mean i don't know how she i mean she's just that fucking level of star where she's like i don't know what should i do should i take my fulbright in london or should i take like this like gorgeous (laughs) um you know uh classes at the american national theater academy like that they had offered her and she's like "Mm, i don't know guys and um she ends up turning down her fulbright and and just going to (laughs) new york i love how in her book there are multiple times where she will say and i turned down london again like London yes. is just this thing in the distance for her and she'll always pick the states or you know going to Hollywood staying in New York it's just a recurring theme for her 
Yeah, she's the girl and, that and, didn't go to Paris. And <laughs> and honestly, I think she made the right decision. I'll be perfectly yeah. fair because yeah. I think the the style, or at least what we think of as the style that comes out of England, is a much more traditional, possibly antiquated style. And like her career blows up because she's part of this like new wave, yeah. essentially. It is um, important to mention, you know, she she started in the theater. Um, she literally was um, in doing The Crucible and uh, was recommended to Leia Kazan, uh, who she'd work with later. And, you know, she studied, she says she like, is kind of in the method realm of acting, which I totally get because it seems like every fucking acting challenge she tackles is like the hardest thing she's ever done in her life. What it's based on is organically acting and somehow finding a way to feed your own experience into that. If you've been, you know, destroyed at one point in your life, that finds its way in. You don't don't necessarily use it as a... a, um, you know, it's something that, that, that you do instead of the actor, but, but, all, but, but you start from backstory where, where, so that you have something. You know where your character's been, you know what he's done, and you know all of that, and a lot of people didn't used to do that. Like, it personally affects her. She mm-hmm. throws her entire body into it, and she's like, this is all, she's pulling it out of herself from, like, whatever dark recesses <laughs> she has to make um, to, 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 you know, to... To, to fulfill the role. Uh, so she's like casually, you know, uh, on doing theater work in New York and really quickly gets her first uh, role in 1967. Um, and that is in The Happening. 1967 is like just such a very big year for her. Um, yeah. Did you guys watch The Happening? I did. I, I saw it. It's one of those like, like Hollywood produced counterculture affairs. It's... Similar in a way, I mean, not in terms of the film itself in what it's discussing, but The Happening and Hurry Sundown, I kind of lump together when I think of Faye and her career at this point in that she has these smaller roles and the films are just very indicative of what those directors or actors were doing at the time. And it's not until later when I think she really gets to sink her teeth into things, but she does still, I think the thing about the happening is that you can still tell that she takes this role so seriously. Yes. And that's a theme that runs throughout her career that you can feel in her performances. And that's like, that's something that will come up through other films too, that we talk about of Faye, I think misreading the tone or other directors, not necessarily knowing what to do with her seriousness at all times. And sometimes I think that works in her campier roles when she does those serious stares and things like that. But here she hadn't quite figured it out, I don't think. Yeah. And so you mentioned also Hurry Sundown. That's her second movie in 1967, another small movie. And it's, I mean, this is her second movie and she's already fighting with directors. Um, Or or maybe not fight. (laughs) I don't want to say fighting, but let's like butting heads. Uh, This is directed by Otto Preminger. They're fighting. (laughs) The girls are fighting. The girls are fighting. As she says in her book, Otto Preminger is actually not one of the great film directors, but he's a very good producer. (laughs) Casual. (laughs) She had points she was ready to make. So she signed a six-picture deal with Otto Preminger. And she had such a miserable time on it. Um, And he was looking at her to do his next film, Skidoo. And she bought herself out of a six-picture contract. She said, you know, 
I paid a lot of money. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> but but she was quoted as saying, I paid a lot of money not to have to work with Otto Perminger. <laughs> you do what you have to do. It's that... like through that too, she talks about how, you know, if she wouldn't have, and it's crazy that she did this so early in her film career, right? Like she was not an established movie star by any means when she was doing this. And she went through this lawsuit for quite a while. I like how mm-hmm. she has yeah. three important lawsuits in her life, she describes. But this is the first one. And she, if she wouldn't have done this, she says she wouldn't have had the opportunity to do a lot of these bigger films that she got later on, especially Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie yes. and Clyde would have been, wouldn't have even been in the picture. Her first um, manager had this like insane idea that was we like we're gonna try and get you like three or four movies before one even comes out. I had the same agents, Lightning Beagleman, they used to call him, and Freddie Fields, who had created Judy Garland's career. Yeah. And I was kind of their last hat trick. And they determined that I would do five films before anyone in Hollywood had ever seen me. And that's what we <laughs> did. <laughs> you know, the agents. The happening hurry sundown, Bonnie and Clyde all come out in the same year and i know we're we're going towards bonnie and clyde but it regardless of the quality of the films and obviously bonnie and clyde is a classic but regardless of the quality of the films you wouldn't be able to really escape fade on away it must be said she is gorgeous she has yes. cheekbones that will fucking kill you um and <laughs> and and she just looks like a movie star she looks like a hollywood starlet um you know, I think people mention like this era of time is like the second, you know, Hollywood golden age. Um, and she is like this, the shining example. Sophie, you said earlier about, you know, the 60s and 70s movies and how stylish they were. She reflected that, you know, she yeah. was the perfect poster child for how stylish and cool these movies were, um, which all leads to uh, Bonnie and Clyde in 1967, which is just like the ultimate cool movie of the era. Um, like I mentioned, we talked about this in our Warren Beatty episode. I didn't rewatch it, but I was watching clips and just reminded of like how easy, breezy, effortlessly cool she is in this. She looks incredible. The hair, she she has like this physicality that I didn't see a lot in her other movies where she's just kind of like, she's innocent. You know, she's kind of skipping around. She's kind of like, there's that moment when she like touches his gun for the first time and it's so sexual and erotic, but, but she's very much like, I bet you don't even know how to use that. You know, it's, 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 right. it's porn. Right, yeah. What's it like? What you mean, prison? No. Armed robbery. Yeah. And it's just yeah. like, she wants to fuck. Uh-huh. <laughs> What's it oh, like? Yeah. And she has, that- her accent work is so good. I, I will say, for her entire career, the girl knows how to do an accent. Like, I mean, she is a Southern gal, so um, yeah. th- she's so good in this. She's so good. She's so good. And you're right about her accent work. And it really is pretty flawless across, especially her early filmography, I think. But with this, she really tapped into her difficult childhood growing up in the South without a lot of money. And she has a quote in her book that I really loved where she says, That movie touched the core of my being. Never have I felt so close to a character as I felt to Bonnie. She was a yearning, edgy, ambitious Southern girl who wanted to get out of wherever she was. I knew everything about wanting to get out, and the getting out doesn't come easy. But with Bonnie, there was a real tragic irony. She got out only to see that she was heading nowhere and that the end was death. Faye, dramatic as ever. 
but I think she <laughs> always tries to find these connections to her characters. And even right in like the depth of the film and all of the violence that shocked audiences at the time and that made this such a progressive film heading into the new Hollywood later in the 70s, Faye also finds, like like you were saying, those moments of playfulness mm-hmm. and innocence. And when we meet her in the movie, it really is this A Star is Born moment, right? Yeah. She's naked up in this room looking out it's, the window at him. It's so hot. It's so it's hot. amazing. I, <laughs> I was just rewatching that and I was like, this is classic. Like, she's just like, you know, she's teasing him. And, you know, she, her bits are covered, but it's still so seductive. And, I mean, her and Warren Beatty are just so young in this. And they just have such good chemistry. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to mention, you know, she, she had some stiff competition in this movie uh, for this role. Jane Fonda was considered, and Margaret, Natalie Wood. Uh, they had to convince Warren Beatty, like, no, this is, this is the girl for it. Because he was also a producer on that. And she loves him as a producer, too. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. I'm a Southerner, and Bonnie was right up my alley. She was something that touched my core very much. The accent's no problem. That kind of desperation and that kind of um, need to get out of the place she was in, out of the the everyday drudgery, that wasn't necessarily true of me, but it was true of Bonnie. And, you know, it's just, and so that is what, what made her, I think, who she is. It's a huge hit. Um, it, you know, gets a lot of um, uh, citations and, uh, you know, Oscar um, love. This is a really good year at the Oscars because right. the Best Picture nominees, Mark Harris has a great book about it, actually, are so indicative of where Hollywood is going with The Graduate and Bonnie and Clyde, mm. where Hollywood has been previously like Dr. Doolittle was nominated. Dr. Doolittle. Yeah. <laughs> and yes. then, I I love I do love that book Pictures at a Revolution. It's a really great book. Yeah. And like I said, I'm yes, not even that big on <laughs> I'm not even that big on Oscar history, but that is a really fantastic book if you've not read it out there. Yeah. So with with Oscar history, I mean, sometimes it's just it's more interesting to look at it just to see kind of what the zeitgeist was and what people were thinking, but yeah, Faye Dunaway sadly ended up losing that oscar that year she's successful later on she actually cares a lot about the oscars that's what i gathered from her book well and she always says too that she like growing up when she was doing pageants and she was like cheerleader and wanting to be may queen and all of these different things that she was always the runner-up she was Mm, never the winner and that haunted her throughout her life of never being the winner it's funny i forgot that she said that that's true so funny (laughs) Before we move out of this section, I just because in in her book, and I, I promise I'll this is the last time I will read from the book, but uh, <laughs> um, I know we keep mentioning it. But she talks about how this was all even she thinks this was all too fast, you know, that she went from like college to stage success to movies. And then there were suddenly reporters on set and people were like, who is this girl? Where did she come from? And she has this great little passage that I think says a lot about her. Um, I don't know if it says what she thinks it says, but uh, I will just read it and let you think about it. Um, When I look back, what I see in those interviews is a picture of raw emotions and a younger me, patently hungry for fame and attention and brutally honest. I became an actress because I have a desperate, pathetic wish to be loved, to be admired, to be respected, I told Parade Magazine. I want to be a star. I want to be famous. I want to be rich. But most of all, I want to be a healthy human being. 
It took me a while to figure out that this was just another role, another performance. The trick is keeping Dorothy Faye in the background, protecting her, and letting Faye Dunaway take center stage. There was a hot minute where I thought you were just reciting Pussycat Dolls. <laughs> when I grow up, I want to be famous. Be I want to be a star. I want to be in movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I think it just says so much about her. And I like that she like acknowledges she's like, oh, I was, you know, I was just, I was being a kid in that interview. And I was like, I don't, I think there's, I think there's nah, truth in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. I I, the, the whole idea that, I mean, we talked a lot about this on our show about, um, celebrities versus movie star or not no celebrities versus actors and, and she was very much cultivating or or whether she meant to or not like celebrity around her um right. gifts and talents um and and which is funny because i think she really is like an actor's actor i think that yeah she's so serious about her craft and so serious about like fine-tuning it like she's she's one of those people that you know, even into the 90s, she was still seeing acting coaches because she talks about an acting coach of hers that uh, while she was making a movie passed away from AIDS. And it was the first time like she realized that was affecting so many people, which also like is a little hoity toity of her. But yeah, um, uh, but also like, you know, I, I think that, you know, her she's very laser focused. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she, she talks about uh, while they were making Bonnie and Clyde. It's how she realized that she was always going to be an actor who watches dailies because for her, it was like an acting school. She could see Mm -hmm. what she did wrong in this take or how to bring it back in another take. And that's fascinating because I think you oftentimes just hear of actors who are like, I cannot watch myself. I don't want to watch myself. I don't want to know. And I think that's why she's so good at theater because you don't get that second take you Mm. don't get to analyze it you don't get to go back and see what you did wrong or what you did right and you know for i i don't know i i i agree i think when she was young she was like kind of wrapped up in the celebrity of it but i i don't think she ever lost sight of the fact that like no this is my profession well i don't think she like even necessarily wanted the celebrity i think there's obviously a bend of sexism in here she is a beautiful young woman and so people want to know you know where she's from and who she's dating and all this and that and because that she's such a technician and wants to see those dailies i'm sure directors were like what the fuck get out of here like you know yes. you- <laughs> exactly. like who are you dorothy <laughs> right <Faye. laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, she follows up bonnie and clyde with another hit the thomas crown affair which is about i don't know the most fabulous insurance agent of all time uh yes. <laughs> That who's, movie, who's also insane. She kidnaps a child at one point in that movie. I could not is. believe it. That movie, <laughs> I was like, talk about beautiful gowns. This is the blueprint of beautiful gowns, the movie. Um, and did I read somewhere? She did 29 costume changes um, yeah. in this film. Yeah. But also, this is this is the vibe of like stylish, you know, there's like a lot of editing and cutting. I was like, oh, we're, we're there's we're a saying, lot of editing. The editing, saying, I think, is cool. It's yeah, we're very saying, yeah. trying to be a part of that time. And I actually wrote down in my notes, great gowns, beautiful gowns, the film. And she, uh-huh. I think it fits because the costumes really are what, what stands out for the, in the movie for me. Like I don't, I never returned to this. It's funny growing up. I always thought of the Pierce Brosnan remake mm-hmm. Yeah, when I thought of this movie, not this one. So I actually watched this a lot later, but she talks about this role in this film in again, a very serious way. 
<laughs> and a more serious way than I think you necessarily need to take the Thomas Crown Affair. But she, what I thought was interesting is that she actually saw this as kind of the first step in her career in developing these sorts of women who push the envelope further mm. and how she kept going into those sorts of roles throughout her filmography and returning to them. And I don't know. I think she does that with Bonnie and Clyde too. It's kind of interesting that she thinks this is the first one, right. but, <laughs> but I mean, but I they, agree. She looks great with McQueen. Yeah. And these two films, you know, she's kind of like building this reputation of dangerous women, you know, mm-hmm. kind of girls who are naughty, but look good. That same year, you know, she is also in a place for lovers. Um, she's like, oh, French New Wave, whatever. I'm making a fucking Italian movie. Uh, <laughs> she, she's like, I'm, I'm going to get the director of the most famous Italian neo-realist film ever, and he's going to make a sappy love story. And I'm and not going to get along with him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, she also ends up having an affair with her co-star, Marcello Mas- Mastrioini. I don't know how to say that. Mastrioini. Sure, why not? Um uh, uh, Sophie and I were actually talking about this before you got on uh, the meeting. I just want to say I think it's really funny in her book. She's like, I didn't sleep with Warren. I didn't sleep with Jack. I'm not the kind that sleeps with the leading man. And then she details a two-year extramarital affair with Marcello. (laughs) And I was like, that man is married. And he was literally the leading man in that Italian movie. It's like, why is he the exception to... International that you create. International yes, host. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> she wears a lot of good outfits. I'll give it she that. She does. That's the best thing I can say about it, too. And it's the only reason I think it's even noteworthy is just because of her affair, affair. with Marcello Mastroianni and how that was the great love of her life that she, yeah. yes. she talks about. And the funniest story about this movie, I think, is that... They said it was ahead of its time because Love Story yes. came out right after. Because a fucking love story, my God. <laughs> Which is also not a good movie. Uh, no, it's a terrible <laughs> movie. This is like the era, though, like after Bonnie and Clyde and, you know, Tom's Crown Affair is a hit. I, but I think people were like, what is happening to Faye? Like, what is she doing? Yeah. These movies that are mm-hmm. coming out are kind of flops. Um, you know, e- even if she's getting good notice... Um, they're just not hits, they're critical disappointments. I do just want to give a shout out, not because it's a good movie, it's actually real trash, but um, The Extraordinary Seaman is a movie I watched, um, which is funny because I'm pretty sure I've already seen a movie titled that, but it was very different. Gavin, get out of here! <laughs> I was I was wondering when this was going to come up, really. <laughs> it's, oh, it's real bad. Here's the thing, she's working with amazing directors. She's working with John Frankenheimer, like, you know, Say what you want about Ilya Kazan. <laughs> um, but like Arthur Penn, obviously Bonnie and Clyde, like Norman Jewison, the Thomas Crown Affair. But you're right, Louis, this like stretched Puzzle of a Downfall Child, which is a movie I really like, but she basically does it as a favor because Jerry Schatzberg is her boyfriend at the time. Yeah. Um, fashion photographer. But actually, I really kind of dug it, I'll be honest. I don't know hmm. if either of you saw Puzzle of a Downfall Child. I, I love this one. I know you did, actually. Sophia, actually. Yeah, I love yeah. it. It's one of my kind of like underrated favorite Faye performances because she, it's a character with an extremely high level of difficulty 
right? Mm, and I think yes. she really clears it. And it's sort of, you know, into the 70s, we get these character studies of women unraveling. Mm. And this is one of my favorite ones that's really underseen. It's very difficult to find. I had to order the Blu-ray like a year ago because I wanted to watch it. But Love that. <laughs> it is very, I would say, in some aspects, a style over substance film, yes. I think, in some ways, because she is a model and Jerry Schatzberg is a photographer. And it is one of those films where you can see it sometimes where the director is dating the star of the film or something like that, married to them, where the camera just loves them. And I do think this is <laughs> Faye's most beautiful role. She's yes. gorgeous in the film. Wow. And that's saying she, something because she's yeah. a beautiful. I mean, she's beautiful every time. But like, this is really just another level. Would you want to take a picture of me now as I am? Well, uh, I didn't bring my camera. No, but you would not because I am imperfect. I, my makeup is worn off. I look horrible. No, but I wish you would have come at night, Aaron, because disguise is so many things. You know, you look wonderful, Lou, so you should stop knocking yourself down like that. Well, thank you, Aaron, but I know what I feel like. This era, you know, like you mentioned, very underseen, kind of like forgotten stuff that, you know, um, I watched Doc, that's a cur- other yeah. Western mm-hmm. Um this is also her like being like, I'm going to fucking be ugly and weird and just like, <laughs> you know, really go all out there. Um, uh, you know, Doc is is a, is a pretty decent Western. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't I, say it's I like, liked it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they were trying to do, I think, a revisionist take on it at the time, which is why I liked the movie, I think, more than I expected to. And it's another case, I think, of Faye Dunaway playing a character who has really high hopes for something and, Mm. you know, sees that her, those hopes are completely doomed. Right. And that's something we see across men because of men. Exactly. (laughs) Always because of men. Well, we would like to see you go to church at least once, Miss Elder, to get married. Allie, when I want preaching, I'll go to church. But for the moment, when I'm on my knees, it ain't in prayer. Yeah, (laughs) slams the door. (laughs) So good. Um, She also does The Deadly Trap uh, in 1972, I believe. Or no, 71. Uh, You know, she does Oklahoma Crude in 73. Um, you know, again, like none of this is really like hitting though. I don't know if either of you have anything to say about either of those films. Um, but they, you know, after uh, in 73, she does, um, Milady de Winter in The Three Musketeers. Incredible. Um, uh, (laughs) That casting. Yeah. I love her in these period films like this. Um, yeah, especially when there's a like, camp quality to them a little bit, just in how seriously she's taking it in the wigs, the costumes. Yes, uh, I I it's, love it. I have a soft spot for them. It just works. Did she really do anything like campy before that? I feel like this, no. I think no. It's it's yeah. It's, the alchemy all comes together from like historical drama, costumes, wigs her seriousness, but it's also comedy. I think she's at her best when she's being unintentionally so hilarious because I do mm-hmm. think she, 
like imagine her as like a Corella Deville, you know, she right. that is a, mm-hmm. she just embodies that in every performance. <laughs> it's so good. We've um, talked about it on the show before, though. The heart of camp is that you it is people taking the subject matter seriously. Like the campiness mm-hmm. comes from and she's so serious. Mm-hmm. So when she gets these roles and she's like completely dedicated to playing them to 11, like it's it's no. great to see, watch. If, see, if you see someone uh, working very, very hard, and some people say professionally, they put that yeah. word on it sometimes. But <clears throat> if you see them them really working with great passion, it's 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 uh, it's possible sometimes to interpret that as oh how ambitious she is. She wants to be a star. When it could be that I just ha- I love what I'm doing. You know, I think that both are a part of me. But the only thing I object to is when that is when the ambition becomes the label. In 1974, she stars in Chinatown. This is her 11th film. I, I read like an ancient uh, New York Times article about, and literally, I think the headline was like, "Where's Fabian?" You know, um, and it took her like her 11th movie to like kind of return to form. And you know, she's back, and she's so ruthless and amazing in this film. Um, you know, we just watched this um, because Who Done It was like I don't know five episodes ago, uh, and, and I remember being like, "Wow, this movie is challenging for sure." Uh, this movie <laughs> also has a lot of baggage just from uh, Roman Polanski and his right. whole shit, um, but also, you know, famously, you know, him and and Faye uh, had butt heads a lot in the film. Uh, he, at the time, talked a lot of shit about her, um, was very right. unprofessional. Um, it, it really came to head where he, like, literally pulled a piece of her hair out of her head, yeah. like, uh, unprovoked, Ugh. and yeah. she was like, fuck you, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot Imagine- of weird stuff going on there with like him. Ma- Imagine being like, I get like, oh, the light's catching your hair weird. Can you like, or can we get hair and makeup to like do something? Right. But he, going on set and snatch, like he snatched her wig. Like what? <laughs> and and so like, yeah. And everyone's like, she was so unprofessional. It's like, what 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 would a normal human do? Oh, cool. Thanks. Yeah. Like, what, <laughs> what would be worse? Like ha- literally having somebody like yank something off of your body or screaming at them. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, wild. Uh, but Chinatown is like ultimate noir. Uh, Jack Nicholson is her co-star. They got along great. And, and I think that's because they definitely um, knew that they were fucking Hollywood royalty at this point. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think she's very good in this. I think this movie is also very, again, like there's the reason why she is a Hollywood legend is because she's in these films that are cemented into like the canon of great American films. And it's funny, like, you know, she has she does these performances where it's 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 maybe a little bizarre watching them with fresh eyes now. Like if you've never seen Chinatown, you watch now, you were like, oh, that's why everyone does that thing. So mm-hmm. when this in, in the scene where she's talking about like, it's my sister, my daughter, like it it, right. might, it might feel a little bit overwrought or like, oh, I've seen this before. Well, the reason why I've seen this before is because everyone's doing her. <laughs> like she is the original right. um, text, um, you know. Uh, and- she made she made Jack Nicholson actually slap her during that. Yes. Scene. Her yes. idea. And, and that's the thing though. And I was talking about like, I imagine she probably is the way she is because she fucking puts herself through hell to film these movies. You know, right. she wants to get beat up. She wants to th- be thrown around. She wants you to shake her. Like she, it, it, she is living this. She is in these characters. 
um, which is all part of her like quasi method, you know, um, uh, approach to acting. She was of a certain manner born. She was Pasadena. She was the elegant Los Angelinan. And so she, she was, she used that as a shield, of course. And she didn't, um, she didn't reveal a lot of herself so that the actor got a chance to, to do things that she didn't, that the character didn't know she was doing, like lighting two cigarettes at the same time. Mm. And it was a sign that she mm. was nervous, right? And, and Jack pointed that out. But, but it's interesting because you can pop through with stuff that the, char that the character doesn't know she's doing, but the actor has to know she's doing it. And she has to have those moments mm. add up at the end to the denouement, the, tr the, the, the truth. I love Chinatown. I think Faye is just perfection in this film. And it's one of those roles where sometimes when you have a whodunit or a noir or a film where there's this big twist ending, it doesn't hold up on repeat viewings because you know what's coming. Mm. But because Faye's performance is so layered and complex, it actually becomes a richer experience with every repeat viewing. It's mm. sort of an anomaly in that way. And that I think is what makes it a classic. And just her face and the way that she holds that makeup, which Polanski based on his mom, which is so bizarre. Yeah. I just like can't get over <laughs> that. I think it's so strange. But the f how her face really is this bridge between old Hollywood and the new, which is exactly what Chinatown is. And we talked about her accent work earlier. I think her accent work in this is flawless. She gets this. 100% like, agree. That time period. Right. And I don't know, you know, how she studied that and created that. But I think it's just it's brilliant. And I think the movie is the movie is perfect. And yeah, despite everything that happened with Polanski, one of the craziest things about this movie, I think, is that she was just really desperate for any sort of instruction from him right. on this character. And he wouldn't give it to her, even though he was the director. He basically said, that's not my job. You need to find yeah. this character yourself. So the fact that she formed this really tricky character, Evelyn Mulray, basically on her own, says so much, I think, about her abilities as an actress. Yeah. And what's interesting is it's so different than because we were just talking about mm -hmm. her going over the top, you know, going yeah. to 11 for and this character is so reserved and so like she's just been hurt by men her entire life and she's built these walls up because of it. Uh, it's fascinating to watch. I mean, I even just I think her introduction into the film is one of my favorite scenes. And she has many great scenes throughout the movie. But just that little bit when when she first meets Jake and she's just like, and we've never met before. Have we ever met? Well, no. Never. Never. That's what I thought. You see, I'm Mrs. Evelyn Mulray. You know Mr. Mulray's wife? Not uh, that Mulray. Yes, Mr. Giddies, that Mulray. And since you agree with me that we've never met before, you must also agree with me that I've never hired you to do anything, certainly not spy on my husband. I see you like publicity, Mr. Giddies. 
Well, you're going to get it. She's so, so good at the little the little subtleties and the louder moments. Like she mm-hmm. modulates very well. And she she and Jack Nicholson, I think, just have such great on-screen, on-screen yeah. chemistry together. And I think you're right, right? It's because they're the biggest stars of the time. But also, there's a moment where she where she says, it has to do with my father. And he says, I know. And she, in her voice, you can almost hear it crack a little bit where she says you do and you assume something else the first time you're watching it because you don't know, but she carries, I think the weight of the history of that relationship with her father, just in those two words, which is just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Great movie, great performance. And guess what? The fucking next year she was across Paul Newman in the towering Inferno, which was the number one grossing (laughs) movie of 74. So like, when will your fave like it's it, it, in 74 doing that unheard of um towering inferno i i didn't finish the movie but i was like oh this is a paul newman like kind of this is a movie that like the rock would remake you know yeah, yeah. definitely I, didn't he already? It's a good point <laughs> I feel, I, oh yeah did he i don't know did he <laughs> well he, he made, made he made what was skyscraper yes yeah, skyscraper yeah, yeah, okay yeah, yeah, yes yeah. <laughs> um I think the the only thing that I got out of this was William Holden fucking pushed Faye Dunaway into a wall during uh. the like she was supposedly late on set and he was didn't like how she was spending so much time in her trailer so he physically put his hands on her pushed her into a wall and was like don't be late again don't do that don't put no. your hands on people don't like like that's not it's funny because i kept running into that and i was like i think people think this is like a charming anecdote that's not the way to handle that it's really fucking not it's really fucking not and then he had to play her lover in in a fucking network so she gets uh, things she doesn't hold any grudges yeah (laughs) this movie oh i think it's it's so frustrating in some aspects i always think like would i rather watch these people (laughs) meaning these actors in a situation like this compared to the people we have today working. Absolutely. Right. right? And these were so popular at the time, these disaster films with gigantic casts, but it's so long, like individual scenes just go on forever. And the only comment I really have is that the building was too hot with Paul Newman and Faye Dunaway inside that it had to catch fire. (laughs) Yeah. Around this time, she famously passes on Hitchcock's final film, um, family yeah, plot. Family plot. Yeah. Uh, she says she she regrets it. Uh, she later says she regrets passing on that. Um, but what she did do was the 1976's Voyage of the Damned, um, which I think was the first movie I watched for this. And I said, oh, my God. You, what you what have what, I got bl- myself into? B- bless her heart. She was like, this is a story that needs to be told. Luckily, that same year... 1976 she is in the iconic network um I, I i had never seen network i i wish i had seen it in high school in journalism class or uh, media studies or whatever she plays a scheming tv executive uh diana christensen um yeah this is her oscar movie she, you know she wins the oscar for this this movie is uh uh it told the fucking future, you know, like uh, it's, it, it's a- di- it did. And it like, listen, it's one of those things where everybody's like, oh, my God, it predicted everything. Patty Chayefsky was in television for like fucking 20 years before this. He wasn't predicting. He was reading. He was like reading the room. 
He yeah. was yeah. seeing the way it's going. And so, like, I think the only knock I can give Network is that, like, when Network is, as, as you were mentioning, she's a Network executive, the, essentially a, one of their newscasters has a nervous breakdown her entertainment division takes over the news and he becomes like the prophet of the news and it becomes this wild opinion show and it's very fox news it's very like but i the only knock i will give this is they thought that people wouldn't take it seriously if it was still a news show so they made it look like a variety show the difference was in reality the the evil executives as somebody who used to work in tv and knows how this is done just made them look like new shows. Like yeah. all of Fox news shows look like new shows because it's right. more palatable to the audience to swallow these like rancid opinions. Mm-hmm. What, I'm, <laughs> what I'm hearing, Gavin, as someone who worked in that same building uh, <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know, we have years of uh, yeah. uh, nonsense behind us, uh, with us. I mean, the movie's like satirical, but also right. not... Um, well, that's that. That is the one thing I do think is really funny is they constantly mention like how funny it is, and like I think the as time goes on, the less funny the film becomes and the more nightmarish it becomes because yeah, it is well, because, our reality. Yeah, because I completely people don't, agree. People don't. I think even today, a layperson would be like, "Oh no, it's the news!" Like that. That's that's the way it right. is. Not understanding like the truly evil machinations that go on behind the scenes and what we're being fed and, and how poor our media literacy is. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's astounding in this film. Um, the character is, is it's a villain. She's a villain and she, she'll do anything yeah. for, for the ratings. And, but there's also a lot of humanity there and, and um, the frankness of like what she's going to do the, the way she's like, yeah, we're going to go. We're, you, is your wife in town? So I guess so I guess we'll, so I guess we'll go back to mine then. Like I, it's yeah. just matter of fact. I think the funniest parts of the movie for me are with in her relationship with William Holden and just the way that she approaches sex. I think that that's where yeah. the comedy is in the film for me because as far as the satire goes, I think what makes it such a sharp satire now in watching it is that the movies that we have now that try to do what network does just fall incredibly short. I mean, I'm thinking of like Adam McKay, Craig Gillespie, like some of these directors who I think try to tackle things like this, but end up totally talking down to the audience. There's a smugness to them and that's just not here. And that's what I really appreciate about it. I think. Yeah. I thought about, about like, don't look up. Is that what that movie is? Like oh, and they're yeah. they're trying to they're trying to do something about like media as well there with like uh, mm-hmm. Tyler Perry's character and 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 I guess this to me is just a lot smarter because it's it's just matter of fact it is it just is well of course we need ratings of course we're gonna put on right. you know the 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 radical you know bomber or whatever and this is what i want and 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 it's it's wild because i i i I remember being in newsrooms where it's like they want sexy they want this they want that and you know and 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 explaining away well it's fine it's fine like people understand they'll they'll read it and they'll get it you know and not understanding like how dangerous it is to to put people on (laughs) on tvs or in, in media like that um 
I mean, oh. Howard Beale says it in the film. He's like, people don't read books. 3% of the population reads books. They, they don't read newspapers. Like, this, where they get their news is this. This is where they get their news. Yeah. And then, <laughs> it's just like, and, and, insanity. And he, and he, and he uh, the best part, though, is like, he's like, why me? Why is God talking to me? And it's like, because you're on TV. Yeah. And that's a fucking mm-hmm. gag. Back then, like, it was a lot harder to have a platform. Like, my God, we have a platform right here. We made it ourselves, you know? Yeah. Back then, there was no way, you know, to have access to be feeding information to people. Like, that that was everything, you know? Not a lot of people had that access. It was a privilege. And, and it was a responsibility, you know? And so why would God talk to someone? Because they're on TV. That was powerful. It's a great movie. Like, again, another, like, just pearl you know, cement brick in the Hollywood wall uh, network. She wins the Oscar for it. Um, and that uh, famous Oscar picture of her, like, oh, I have it framed above morning. my desk. It's, uh, <laughs> it's the best. And I, and I love how she like downplays it in her book. She's like, you know, it, what it meant to them was like, is that all there is? But to me, you know, like, it's very different. And I'm like, I think there was a little bit of that for you. Mm-hmm. And I think what you were saying about, like having a platform and now how anyone can have a platform. And it's so interesting, I think, to see in this movie how Faye shows Diana's power in having a platform in not being public facing, right? Mm-hmm. Like she's not the Howard Beale, but she's the one who's orchestrating everything. And she blames it, I mean, very openly on the fact that she is good at her job and that's what she decides to do. She has that great line where she says, all I want out of life is a 30 share and a 20 rating. My husband ran off with his boyfriend and I had an affair with my adults. He told me I was the worst lady he'd ever had. I can't tell you how many men have told me what a lousy lay I am. I apparently have a masculine temperament. I arouse quickly, consummate prematurely, and can't wait to get my clothes back on and get out of that bedroom. I seem to be inept at everything except my work. I'm good at my work. So I confine myself to that. All I want out of life is a 30 share and a 20 rating. It's just, yeah. it's, yes. it's so perfect. And yeah, I think like she is a villain in the movie, but she also is just so obsessed with her career and includes these little touches of humanity throughout the movie that you can see in really smart ways. And for me, I mean, she is the precursor and inventor of Bethany Frankel. Like that is (laughs) Diana. Like this person exists today and they are front facing. You know, this was the, the kind of early career and the main career that I had. And I did have a lot of choices, but you're right. It is the choices. You have to choose. Network, I was, nobody wanted me to play network because this was a kind of an automaton. This was a, a woman who really had lost touch with her heart. Yeah, a her cold feelings. woman, a cold and difficult yeah, character. Yeah, really. And, and completely driven by the success ethic of America and TV and getting it on and a hit show. It was a black comedy because it was, and that's what was, was the fun part to play. That last scene was really fun to play because we had to play it for real but anyway I mean everyone said you can't play that you can't play her you know and I said oh no 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 I have to play this one and it was my instinct but I was lucky you know, I was lucky that I just kind of had a sense that I mean the writing was so good yeah it's yeah it's so funny and I, I know we spent so much time on network and 
I was maybe going to save this for a little later, but I think you mentioning that, um, you know, one of the things that she was told when she took the role was that Sidney Lumet was like, if there's any humanity that creeps into your performance, I'm shouting cut. And I think she still pulls it off. Yeah. I think she still gets those moments. There's so many stories about people who work in a newsroom or at a magazine or whatever. And it's just there is a sickness with people who are in the media who is just like, no, you don't understand. I need to make good TV. Yeah. I need to write the good story. And I'm going to do whatever it takes. And I can never love you as much as I love the story. And um and 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 then and then there are the there are the people who try there are the people who try to break through them and it's always going to lead to heartbreak and disaster, um, and and yeah, uh, Diana Christensen the character is just like one of the top you know perfect for examples of that. Uh, so yeah, that's network. We are we are less than halfway through our film career, <laughs> and we we are very deep into this episode, so we might have to let's fast start forward. skipping around. The twenty first yeah. century is really tough for her, so we can yeah maybe yeah that'll be light that'll be light those. that'll be light. Um, I will say you know I I did watch the Eyes of Laura Mars. What a crazy movie that mm-hmm. comes up yeah, afterwards. I, I actually watched it for a John Carpenter episode, even though he only provided the story. But yeah, wild fun. Tommy Lee Jones. Great. Yeah. Like, there's Great. a moment where he doesn't have his shirt on, and I was like, oh my God, Tommy Lee Jones giving all that. Yeah. Uh, it makes sense why she falls for him. You're like, okay, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. You're like um, Agent K. I, <laughs> <laughs> I and her photography's I, actually cool in the movie. It is. Yes. I really like her shots. I was thinking of like, oh, we don't have photo shoots like this anymore. We need we need more psychic <laughs> um photographers, fashion photographers like her um, in my life. Uh, the champ of uh, the first deadly sin really like the, the next big stop has to be mommy dearest um you know that is 1981 so we're now we're in the 80s she's looking for the next you know big thing uh and and yeah mommy dearest we haven't talked well we talked about this in our joan crawford episode but like very yes you know tangentially obviously this is a Loosely, I guess, based on Joan Crawford's life, she's playing Joan Crawford or a version of her. Um, it's based on um, Joan's daughter's uh, controversial memoir. Um, yeah, the, this the is sort of first of its kind, the the sort of revenge tell all. Correct, and I will say, you know, this is a gay camp classic. Um, I, I there was a moment where I was like, gonna try and invite friends over to watch this together, like fun. Uh, that didn't end up happening, and I'm kind of glad because. This movie put me in a foul mood. It's traumatic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's there's dark. a lot of yeah. like, <laughs> and I I will say uh, Frank Perry um is not a good director and I I'm <laughs> just going to come out and say it. Um and there's so many scenes that don't go anywhere in this movie. It's just like a scene happens and then a scene happens and then a scene happens. And I was like what are it's one of those movies that you get to the end and you're like, what are we supposed to get out of this? Like, what? Yeah. Other it's than, kind of, like... The, the the whole gag of the movie is, like, maybe I'll make a movie about my mom. Like, that's... <laughs> and that's, like, the gag. She got the last laugh. Or did she? Or did the she? End. The timeline of the movie is also just so confusing to me when I watch yeah. it. It's very yeah. difficult to keep track of how much time has passed. When yeah. we get more information about Mildred Pierce, we're like, okay, I can kind of 
ground myself here and where we are. But other than that, it the tone of the movie is very confusing, too. Yeah. It just feels like it's trying to be this traditional prestige biopic, but also Faye... It seems like she understood the schlocky quality of the memoir in what yes. she was leaning into in her performance, but... Perry really didn't know what he had here. And that's where the problem comes through. Because say what you want about Polanski and directors like him who have had, you know, troubled, you know, lots of issues in their lives, we'll say. But they can still direct, even if there's there's a problem right. there on set. This didn't happen for Perry. By definition, an exploitation movie. And it was never modulated directorially. I'm sorry to say, it became camp. It wasn't brought into a vision that said, look, let's really talk about who these two people were. You know, only God will ever know what passed between them. And in many ways, I think it was the inevitable tragedy that comes when from a child of want, which is what Crawford was, and a child of plenty, which is what the little blonde girl was. And I could only imagine looking at her face. You know, Albert Camus said, one is responsible for one's face. And I always love that. I mean, we're responsible for what we look like because that, you know, is an expression of who we are. No wire hangers! What's wire hangers doing in this closet when I told you no wire hangers ever? Number one, I think it's a bad movie. But the number two, I was like, even the like iconic lines of like Tina got the axe and like, you know, and her performance, which is off the rails. Like she is she is giving her, you know, the camp level that we expect from her. But I just think also the movie's mean and not. Yeah, and, it and, is mean. And and, um, and that might be just because of, you know, what we learned during our Joan Crawford episode. But right. I, Camp to me never is mean. Like it's never punching down. And this movie is just punching down on this woman who probably had a fucking horrible life that we know had like, you know, a really tough time, you know, coming from nothing to be a fucking Hollywood star and be used in this whole, like it's just, to me, it doesn't live up to the camp um, bona fides or. or no. And I, and I get why, you know, the Faye Dunaway herself refers to it as like Kabuki theater. I think that's a, a complete misuse of that. Yeah. Um, but it is very costumey, very makeup heavy and whatnot. So I get, and like, I do appreciate those moments. The funniest thing, the the only thing that really made me laugh this time, though, I do, I do like the camp moments, even though I, I was kind of more horrified. And maybe I'm just getting older and sappier. But the was poor little Christina's delivery of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, 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 yeah girl. Um, I, I do think the line, there are some funny lines to me. I don't know. I just it's the it's oh face no, delivery. I think lines. right. The just when she when she's swimming, I lose it every time. <laughs> like you lost again. Nobody <laughs> ever said life was fair, Tina. I'm bigger and I'm faster and I'll always beat you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if we want to talk about actual camp, babes, I think yes. the next movie, oh, The yeah. Wicked Lady, 1983. The Wicked Lady. Honey, this is the camp movie that all the girls actually need to be seeing, okay? Because <laughs> I have never seen a woman steal a man so quickly just by falling off a horse. Um <laughs> 
And then keeping said other woman like in her employment, like what a crazy movie. It happens so quickly. Oh, it does. <laughs> Every everything happens so quickly. My favorite moment is um this is a movie about I've actually seen the original that this is a remake of, but uh it's about a woman who like becomes a highwayman who's a person who robs people's stagecoaches. Because she's, she's just bored. She's an, <laughs> right. She's just an evil lady. Um the moment <laughs> she decides to disguise herself as a highwayman, she loses a a brooch that she loves in a card game. Yeah. And there's like this like cacophony of her like hearing people being like, you'd have to steal it back. <laughs> like, and she just like stares so intensely. And I was just like, yes, yes. give in, become she, evil. Yeah, she sees the meme of like, be gay, do crimes. Like, that's just yes. like her entire thing. Th- this movie is unhinged. This was your mother's brooch. I shall never part with it. Look out, some highwayman fella doesn't steal it. A trinket so easily won. Your mother's brooch. Highwayman fella steal it. Easily won. Steal it. Why not? It's so fun. Um, She is just firing on all cylinders. Um, There's cat fights in this. There's, you know, theories. We (laughs) need to talk about her hair. Because whatever is happening there, I I love it. I think it it is so perfect. It's about 12 wigs stacked on top of each other. (laughs) Like it's, it's wild. Um, This is also for any Star Trek fan out there. This is um, Deanna Troy, uh, her first film. Um, And she literally appears fully nude in her very first scene. Um, And my favorite thing is, is, Oh my God. Essentially Faye Faye Dunaway is having an affair with this actual highway man who's been robbing people. And she catches him with Marina Sirtis and she gives this, like, you'll rue the day and leaves Amrita Sirtis completely naked, just turns around and goes, who the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I believe this movie is available for free on Tubi. It is. Highly recommend. It is just a riot. Just a riot. It's a camp classic, really. It need Well, it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, another camp classic, uh, 84. We got Supergirl. Supergirl. Uh, love. <laughs> Um, you know, I just, some say Mommy Dearest derailed the career, but I just think (laughs) maybe I put her on the right track, you know, like why Mm. so serious? Just be fun. Who cares? Be the villainess that you are. Um, I love Supergirl. She plays an evil witch in it named Serena, I believe, is the Selena, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, you know, uh Brenda Vaccaro, who I absolutely love, plays Bianca, her assistant. And it's one of those things where like you know, like the studio really wanted to have the prestige of Superman and they they pad the cast out with Peter O'Toole, who I'm pretty sure is three sheets to the wind the entire movie. <laughs> um Peter <laughs> Cook, uh, uh you know, um Mia Farrow pops plays, up. Yeah, Mia Farrow <laughs> plays her mom at the beginning. Like, um, but my favorite touch out of all, like, she she essentially gets this. Um, <laughs> she receives the Omega Hedron. It increases her magical powers by a thousand. And uh, basically, by the end of it, she's kind of become all powerful. And so, my favorite touch is like 
she's trying to look for ways to defeat Supergirl, even after she's trapped her in the Phantom Zone. She sees she's coming back for her, so she goes to her book to look for spells, and she puts on bejeweled glasses. And I was like, you're an all-powerful witch. You're not going to fix your reading eyeglass problem. <laughs> that was- well, that, those are just for fashion, okay? Exactly. Her, her it's fashion wonderful. is, is- impeccable in the movie and it's yeah so I, I love supergirl and i what i really love about it too is that she's not actually that good at her job at the beginning of <laughs> no. the movie or really throughout it which is kind of relatable i think in in love life it. right but she also i love how she lives in like an abandoned carnival and <laughs> right which which is actually the most for that time period yeah the most comic booky type of hideout and i love yes. that like the, oh. the, the you i we were discussing this earlier sophia and i but like i don't know it's nice to see a comic book movie that actually feels like it had some sort of point of view and i know supergirl's kind of considered a disaster but i just think it's so fun and so watchable it's a little long i could i could mm-hmm. get like i could cut like 20 minutes out of it but like it's giving Batman and yeah. Robin, okay? She's got a point of view. Yeah. She's having fun. I do just and, watch and, her scenes when I've yes. gone back to it. <laughs> I will just fast well, forward to Faye. I also just love that she's just so fucking horny. Yeah. She's she's like she's like my one love in life is this private school groundskeeper. Like uh, you're all powerful and that's who you want. You've like come over yeah. and drink a beer at your carnival. Whoops amongst us. <laughs> Um, we're gonna Again, zip- relatable. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you probably killed him, you know. Sleep well, and when you wake, drown in my eyes and be all mine. If that's that goddamn Jehovah's Witnesses again, I'll get it. We're going to zip through the rest of the 80s. You know, she does Barfly, The Gamble. She's great in Barfly. Agreed. Um, we have um, maybe, I, I think this is her um, next um, very large um, lawsuit coming up. Uh, she auditions to replace Glenn Close in Sunset Boulevard. Um, and first of all, Glenn Close in Sunset Boulevard is iconic. She is amazing. I love that show. I love her in it. Um, she was cast, and then Andrew Lloyd Webber was like, mm, let's just close the show instead. Um and so they get into it, and and they said it's because she wasn't able to sing the part, which is kind of a gag. He cast me. He told me as as, as late as Monday night that he was ecstatic that I had come on. That the prog in his words, the progress was remarkable. And then the next day changed his mind. So he tends to be a capricious man, in my experience. And you don't blame him for that. You can't blame a human being for his behavior. You have only to explain it and try to understand it. She filed a lawsuit. Um, and it was later settled. Neither has like said too much. Oh, chapter 23 of her book is just the settlement. Wow. It's just a printing of the settlement. Wow. It's so funny. And she ends it with (laughs) the terms of this settlement prevent me from any further comment on the matter. Gag. Well, that sounds like she got a pretty fucking check. So good for her. Yeah. Um, you know, now we're getting into this like really kooky booky territory. She's in Dunstan Checks In, which I remember watching as a child a lot. That's about a I, monkey. I watched it for this. I had never seen it before. Uh, I wa- I think I watched this on Disney Channel every other day. 
I remember watch, seeing her in the Rules of Attraction as a like horny mm-hmm. teen. Um, <laughs> and, you were the horny teen. I, I was, was gonna say she she was like sixty something at the point. I was a horny Can you imagine? teen. She was not. if she was just in the Shannon Sosaman role, no explanation. <laughs> this is also the era of the Starlet. Um, you know, so she. I mean, she's fully in her like. Just doing whatever she pleases. Yeah. Um, you know, she's in an episode of CSI, Touched by an Angel, Alias, Grey's Anatomy. Um, I, I don't know if there's anything like... She has been in other movies here and there. Nothing really of note. Honestly, like, and drag me... She, the the thing that people maybe most know about her recently is when she famously said La La Land won best picture, yes. and yeah. it was in fact incorrect. It's not her fault. They gave her the wrong envelope. She just said it because I believe she was handed the envelope that said that Emma Stone had won, and so she yeah. just saw she saw Emma Stone La La Land, so she just said La La Land, whatever. My conspiracy uh, theory here that I will just share very briefly is that if the rightful winner that year would have won Isabelle Huppert, this fiasco mm, would not have happened. Would not, it wouldn't have happened. Right, because there was no way she would have said... Elle oh, was not uh, nominated for Best yeah, Picture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she would have okay. been like, this is wrong. Fuck you, Warren. <laughs> oh, I was very guilty. I thought I'm, I could have done something, surely. Why didn't I see Emma Stone's name on the top of the card? There's something about that moment in front of the entire world, all those lies, and all our history, I think just combined to make us both not able to to perform what normally one would perform. Normally you would say, this is the wrong card, but it didn't happen that way. I do also want to admit, because you did mention earlier that there were three big lawsuits. Um, I'm hoping the third one you were referencing was the fact that um, in 2019, she was supposed to do, uh, it was supposed to transfer to Broadway um, T at five. Yeah. A play about Catherine Hepburn. It did an out of town tryout in Boston. Funny enough, I was at that theater a month before it opened in Boston, seeing an Offenbach opera, because that's what I do. And um, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I'd love to see that. Of course, she famously got fired from that. And then also her assistant sued her when she reportedly called him a little homosexual boy. Aren't we all? <laughs> I, was, I was like, listen, there has to be some other inappropriate workplace stuff there, because I think many little homosexual boys would be very happy to hear that from Faye <laughs> Oh my god, a badge of honor. <laughs> yeah. There has to be something else, right? There has to be more. Being absolutely. yelled at by Faye Dunaway is exciting. Uh, quickly, personal life. Um, she famously dated Lenny Bruce um, in 1962. Yeah. That's kind of funny. Um, she has been married twice, um, though she has said that like one of her great loves was, we mentioned Marcello Mastriani. Um, she married Peter Wolf, the lead singer of the J. The J- Giles band? Giles, yeah. Um, and then she, her second husband was British photographer Terry O'Neill. Um, and they got married. They allegedly have a child. <laughs> they, Sophia? They have a child, but years later, she actually said that she didn't give birth to the child, that she adopted him. Oh, okay. And yeah, lied I think about giving two, birth. She lied about giving birth. That's yeah. wild. Um, she is a devout Catholic. She says she attends Sunday mass regularly. How about that? Mm. My, my mom and her would get along famously. Uh, 
But, you know, I mean, she'd probably yell at your mom, but then they'd be OK. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not you. It's the it's the dirt. Um, yeah, I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the dirt. There's a lot, you know, fa- and she's yeah. still she's still around. You know, she's she is 82 years old and she, you know, um, giving interviews and and people will say that they're they're exciting celeb sightings in Hollywood. And, and it's always um a crazy thing when they run into Faye and I bet you, and I bet you it is. Um, but okay, let's, let's, let's move out of our rewind and let's get into some picks. Okay. Let's, let's start off with our one star reviews. How about that? Okay. Sophia, we always have our guests go first. So please elucidate us. What is your one star review for Miss Faye Dunaway? So I actually have a few, but okay. I'm going to go with one that we haven't talked about. Okay. And that is one of her recent projects, The Bye Bye Man. Oh, I I would have given it to this if not for the fact that she's only in like five minutes of it. But yeah. you're correct. <laughs> this is such a torturous experience. And I really just don't know why she was involved. Right. I think some of her other one star reviews for me, I can maybe explain it but here she really just is the character who comes in to explain it all and (laughs) (laughs) that's her purpose but yeah this this movie is an act of great suffering and it is just a very pitiful horror film so i will say the bye-bye man for my one-star review but in the end larry was a hero you tell people that Larry erased him, you see. He did away with everyone who'd heard it before they could pass it on. But not you. You're here. How did you survive all this time? <laughs> survive? Yes. How did you beat it? I didn't beat it. I never knew it. What? If my husband told me the name, he'd have had to kill me with the rest. My husband controlled himself. Your fucking husband wrote the name in the nightstand you sold, and I read it. He typed it in a dead article, and I read that, too. Don't you say it. Your husband spared you, and he got me. He's in me now. He's in my friends. Don't think it, don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> it's wild, though, because, like, her her latest offerings have been so cuckoo bananas. Like, the case for Christ? Yes. I know. What? And, like, I would have probably said that if I would have watched it, but I just can't right. even go into some of these, like, Christian I, films that she's doing. That, that, Kevin Spacey. That was the same. F- oh, my God. We'll get into that. In yeah. A moment, but yeah. With the, yeah, I could do that. I watched her other latest movie, which was Inconceivable, which was a Nicolas Cage. It was supposed to be, like, a big Lindsay Lohan comeback movie, and then she's not even in it. Um, but I did think the one funny inconceivable is awful and not worth watching. <laughs> but um, the one funny thing is before making that movie, she broke her leg and the guy's like, no, I wrote the part for her. So he had to rewrite her scene. So she's always sitting. And the most obvious one is she's like playing with a little kid at one point and sitting on the bottom step of some stairs. And there's just a blanket over her one extended leg. Sure. Sure. And I was like, yeah, that's the one with the cast. <laughs> like, very casual. You don't. One leg doesn't get chilly for you, Gavin. Yeah, <laughs> just sometimes one leg gets real cold. So normal. Um, but okay, the Bye Bye Man, a very bad <clears throat> um, horror film. Gavin, what do you got? Um, I'm also going to talk about a, a movie that we didn't really talk about or that we sort of breezed over. There were a couple for me. Um, I, w- I was really gunning for Oklahoma Crude, but I think there's one moment where she's actually very good in it. So. 
So I'm going to go with 1979's The Champ, uh, Franco Zeffirelli's first English language, or first, not English language, first American film. Let's go with that. And it's a remake of a 1931 King Vidor film. Um, it feels like a film from 1931. It never like moves itself out of that. <laughs> it's incredibly schmaltzy. Um, essentially, John Boyd is a um, box, a former boxer who's aged out of boxing. Uh, his name's Billy Flynn, like the lawyer from Chicago, but uh, he goes by Champ. And uh, he has a son named TJ, and he's a gambler and a drunk and. He, you know, keeps making false promises to this kid until one day he, like, gets a jackpot, buys the kid a racehorse. And the kid just happens to run into Annie Phillips at the track. And guess what? Annie Phillips, played by Faye Dunaway, is his deadbeat mom, who is this rich woman who abandoned them when she couldn't stand Billy's boozing and gambling um, and just left her child for seven years with this man who, like seems to live on some sort of commune i don't like i don't really understand um she's like some fashion person you know uh, later john voight comes to her to be like no he's my kid you left us also you're doing this fashion show at, at viscaya in in florida can i have two thousand dollars it's no big deal i want you to understand that it don't make no difference to me give me the money or not i still feel the same way about what you did I don't know when I can pay you back. Just glad you're doing this. What are you talking about? The money for TJ. Oh, you know about that, huh? Yeah. I lost TJ's horse gamble. Something's gonna change. And she's just like, sure, yeah, great, whatever. He, like, gambles away his son's horse. He keeps getting in trouble. He's going to go for one final fight. And, you know, the the tw- the twist of it all, of course, because he's so old, is that he dies in the fight. And this poor kid, played by Ricky Schroeder, spends all two hours of this movie screaming and crying because he just wants his dad throughout the... Um, here's my thing. Um I'll be honest, the, the ending is actually the saddest fucking thing in the world. And Ricky Schroeder is actually very good in that in that moment. Uh, and I did. I was weeping and I was like, fuck you, Franco Zeffirelli. <laughs> like during it. Um, but I don't think Faye has any connect. This was a time period where she really did want a kid. Mm. And I don't think it comes across mm. on screen at all. I don't think any of her interactions with Ricky Schroeder make me believe that she loves this child, that she wants anything to do with this child. I don't think any of her interactions with John Voight make me believe that she ever loved him. And his character is just so dumb. And like, it's not because of his flaws. He's just painted as an idiot that it kind of feels like you're like, if there were more jokes, you're essentially watching a Fairly Brothers movie where she's the only like, normal character and they're just like bumbling idiots who it's so strange i do not understand the impetus for making this film for i guess franco zeffirelli caught the original on tv and was like i love this movie as a kid i want to remake it he saw it on i don't TNT. think that's a strong yeah <laughs> i don't think that's a strong enough reason to remake a movie i think you need more 
to be like, I'm going to bring something to it. I don't think they brought anything to it. It it really feels like they just lifted the the original and put it in the trappings of the 70s. It's bad. She's not good in it. I think Fair. I said my piece. Yeah, The Champ, yeah. 1979. Um, I you know the 90s were a very bad time for Miss Dunaway. I gotta say, <laughs> um, I I wanted to mention really quickly. I watched The Messenger, the story of Jean of Arc, uh, a movie I saw in the theater. Oh, God bless. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not choosing that, but it's like the. the <laughs> I, I like watched a little bit of Scorchers and I was like, enough, oh, enough. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With James, this was on with my James, list. With James Earl Jones. Um, <laughs> Double Edge, I think is, she's not, not only not good, I think it's like an irresponsible movie. Like it's yeah. just irresponsible journalism, irresponsible politically. Like I, I it's just, you know, all around. All that being said, I think I am just going to double down and 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 say it. My one star review is "Mommy Dearest." I just I thought about it. This movie to me is complete clownery. I I know that, and I and I think the reason why I, I'm especially disappointed is that she she says she did a lot of research. It's clearly such a physical role for her. Um, it's just her yelling. All of the the fine technician things that I love about her are out the window in this because it's just her yelling a lot. And and I don't I think she's a little bit out of control. And I don't think the director has enough handle on what's like how to like harness any of the energy. I think everyone around her is so like blown out of the water by her because she's so commanding and everything and and in not in a fun or good way um she's kind of in her own universe and i understand why people are like that's hilarious that's fucking amazing that she has like that that's on film and and but like when she physically like attacks christina and is on her choking her out and and crashes through i'm like this is showgirls level of like (laughs) insanity like and, and and both do and, have pool scenes. Yeah, it's true. Both have pool scenes. <laughs> but I, I was like halfway through this and I said, this is just clownery. This is not, this is barely acting for me. It's just so unhinged. And, you know, uh, I, I, I think she's better than this movie. And I think she, there is a camp, ver- like this movie exists that is, you know, fun and winking and all that, whatever. And it's called The Wicked Lady. Like, it, it, you know, like this, it's just, this movie is not what the girls say it is. And I don't think um, she even knows what she's doing here, you know? And 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 I think it's because the movie doesn't know what it's doing. Um, in some moments, it's like, it, it, and this movie also tries to have it all the ways. Like it yeah. wants, it wants to, at the end, Christina wants to fuck her mom. But also, like, I thought when she was accepting, like, the Lifetime Achievement Award or whatever, she was going to be like, fuck her. But, like, there's a lot of, like, obviously they had a very complicated relationship. And maybe I'm just, like, feeling a little bit protective of Joan. But, like, even beyond that, I think Joan's performance, or not Joan's, sorry, Faye's performance is... See, it's too good. You can't tell them apart. <laughs> no, it's, it's yeah. not. I, I just, it, it's it's... It's unhinged in a way that I think is uh, really 
pushes me away from the film. Like I, I can't even get to like, it's it's giving me like, I, I famously don't like burlesque, <laughs> which uh, a lot of <laughs> girls are all about because of the camp quality. Uh, th- this kind of hit me in the, in the same way, but even more because like, this is about a real person and this is a, re- you know, again, like I said, really mean. I, and I, I, I went away from this movie just being like, that was complete clownery, you know? And she's such a good actress. She's such a technician. And none of that technique is here to me. It's just so broad. It's so big. Um, yeah. So even though that there are full disaster movies, like where it's like, what the fuck is this? This to me kind of hits even harder because like you can tell she was trying really hard and it's, 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 it's the most cringy flop for me. Well, first of all, someday you will learn to appreciate the importance of air rights, Louis. No! Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, second of all, when you said she's just yelling, all I could think of was Elaine Stritch's, I'm just screaming! Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, third, oh, what was the third thing? Oh, you said that there's a better movie of this, and I know you went for The Wicked Lady because of Faye, but there's a better movie of this, and it's Charles Bush's Die, Mommy, Die. Yes! Yeah, I mean, it's there. Exactly. Um, You know, I I guess I can kind of appreciate it for what it is. But like, as far as a fake. I can't believe you saw Die, Mommy, Die, which I was with you for before seeing Mommy Dearest. That's wild to me. I'm weird. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, but uh, to to be very fair, like there, there are a lot of, you know, more bad things that are yeah. you know especially in the later half of her life and, and she's talked about you know how unfair it is that a lot of her male contemporaries got to be leads and you know have romantic interests who are like half their age meanwhile she's fucking playing sisters and aunts who are doing nothing right yeah. and so it's it's not all her fault but you know it, it, it but the movies are still bad nonetheless but uh is there anything else we want to talk about really quickly that that was in the the lower end of the watch? I think we named most of them. The arrangement got, was also one of mine, like a really oh, yeah. really close to being the yes. one star review. Yeah, God, a, a rare um, early film where it's just rough, Oof, very um, rough. The uh, less about her, I, but more I, about the movie in totality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for for me, that a similar thing then is Arizona Dream from 1993, which is this surrealist comedy that I don't really think is about anything, but I think it has like some really good performances in it. Unfortunately, but it's like two hours and twenty two minutes, and it's just like Jesus Christ. The, am- the amount of movies that she's in that run for a cool two and a half hours, unwell yeah. behavior, unwell, unwell. Um, but okay, let's get out of here. Let's talk about some good stuff. Let's talk about our five star reviews. My five-star review is Network. It is her best actress win. I think it is her best performance in her career. There are a couple I think you could go with here, but for me, this movie is about Diana Christensen and it is about Faye as Diana. And 
She is the center of the movie. And I love that this character and Faye in her portrayal of this character know, and I won't go too long on this because I know we've talked about Network quite a bit, but (laughs) she knows that her femininity is a tool that she can Mm. use throughout the movie and that she can weaponize, but she also references masculinity or masculine tendencies that she has, specifically when it comes to sex and even in her clothing, right? Like she has these like masculine and feminine touches in her costumes. And she said that that was really important to her character. So I feel like she just has a really deep understanding of this woman and she knows exactly how to play her. And she also just delivers some of the greatest lines in the movie. I love when she says, I'm sorry, I impugned your coxmanship with a straight face. Perfect. Yeah. And she is also the one who has the final word on whether or not they should kill Howard Beale at the end of the movie. It's her call. It's her decision. And yeah, I think that she really just imbues this character with so much just like, I don't know, nastiness. And she's absolutely horrible in how she behaves. But again, it's a totally believable character. To me, it doesn't lean too far into caricature which I think another actor could have done or some of the other actresses considered just would not have made this as icy and bold as she did. And it was really brave of her to take the role. A lot of people told her not to do it, but she went for it and it was a very risky move, but it absolutely paid off. So network is mine. She she says in her book, she wishes more people had told her not to do mommy dearest instead. Yeah, I think that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Did you see the Times? We've got press coverage on this you couldn't buy for a million dollars. Frank, that dumb show jumped five rating points in one night. Tonight's show has got to be at least 15. We just increased our audience by 20 or 30 million people in one night. Now, you're not going to get something like this dumped in your lap for the rest of your days, and you can't just piss it away. Howard Beale went up there last night and said what every American feels, that he's tired of all the bullshit. He's articulating the popular rage. I want that show, Frank. I can turn that show into the biggest smash on television. What do you mean you want that show? It's a new show. It's not your department. I see Howard Beale as a latter-day prophet, a magnificent messianic figure inveighing against the hypocrisies of our times, a strip Savonarola Monday through Friday that I tell you, Frank, could just go through the roof. And I'm talking about a $6 cost per thousand show. I'm talking about a hundred, $130,000 minutes. Do you want to figure out the revenues of a strip show that sells for a hundred thousand bucks a minute? One show like that could pull this whole network right out of the home now, Frank. It's being handed to us on a plate. Let's not blow it. Call me basic. I will double down on that. I also think it's 1976's network. Um, I know she won her Academy Award for this. I know that seems like a really clear shot. But you're right. Everything that you said is just perfect. And because there is, uh, because she's able to make this three dimensional, what could easily be this caricature, we could easily, and she even brings it up in her book. She's like, why can't this character be male and the love interest be female? But I think what that does is that brings a whole other set of things because it it just would, it would seem so obvious if she were a man doing this. Yeah. And pushing out the good woman. And I think that that's one of the things, and I know, uh, you know, it's it's a really tricky tightrope to walk because there are a lot of women who in that role, you would just fully see them as like, 
you know, the conniving bitch who's just trying to get uh, her way. But she feels like so much more that like you feel like you really understand the depth of this hole that she's drilled into herself that she just fills with ratings numbers that this need her only worth and love in life is the um, amount of people she can get to watch her shows and and the acclaim that comes from that for her, because in the end, like, you know when it comes down to it, the person who created a a fucking news show or this weird terrorism hour that she has, like no one knows who they are. Like can, can either of you, like if I was like, name me your top five, your top 10 TV shows, how many of them can you name the showrunner of? I think I can do three or four at most. Like, and so like her claims not even coming in the back end off of becoming a household name, but it's the pride she gets in like this crazy capitalistic system of of increasing the value of the network she's working for it's wild it's a it's a nuanced performance it's so dark and bleak and yet at the same time very real i when i see watch this movie i feel like i've met this person and let me tell you the scary thing is as i have um like ring 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 yeah like i also just think network is it <laughs> and, this, and this is the fun thing we never tell each other our picks so this is amazing i think this is maybe the first time this has ever happened i love yeah, that we're it's aligned. all three and i will say i will go even further than what you're saying gavin not only have i met this person sometimes i think i'm a little bit this person like yeah as some, i get it as mm-hmm. someone who like makes things for consumption and and people don't know who the fuck I am, you know, like I remember right. I remember when I lived in San Francisco after the Giants won the World Series and I was on the train and everyone had their paper out. And I was just on the train being like, I fucking made that. And all of you are reading that right now. And like yeah. and, and and there is something diabolically delicious of being like, you don't even fucking know. But that is me. It's all like, <laughs> it's, reader. It's not. But like it's there's something, you know, within all of us that just like. And so she, I, what I, she is so morally bankrupt, right? Because who is her God? Her God is media. Her God, everything that is important to her is this production and, and the eyeballs, you know? And so it doesn't matter, you know, if people know her name or not, because like, <laughs> it's the whole idea of like, you know, um, God, I'm too drunk to remember what that saying is, but something about like the devil that you don't know, or like, you know, the greatest trick that the devil played was that thinking he didn't exist, right? Like that's, that's the gag, you know, she doesn't need people to know that she's there because she's fucking made the show. That's, that's how, you know, she exists. Right. Um, And it's not about her being a woman or a man. It is about using all the tools in her tool belt, which includes her sexuality to fucking get there. You know, and if this right. man is too fucking weak and too like, you know, oh, beholden to, you know, the way uh, uh, newsrooms should be run or networks should be run, like that's that's his flaw. And she has none because she's a fucking diamond. OK, like <laughs> and 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 she's just shining and brilliant, you know, no one. And it's wild because she fucking runs through that network being like, hello, I'm a genius. Do you want me to fucking save it or not? Um, right, and, right. Yeah. And 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 the reason why I think the movie at the beginning of it, it's kind of like, oh, it's kind of fucked up the way TV works. And then it keeps going. 
And all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> you know, it's the satire of like, oh, there is no democracy. It's just dollars. And I'm like, okay, so this has to be the end of it. But it keeps going to the very serious business meeting of, well, I think we should just kill him. And it's not scandalous. And it's not, there's no one in the room that says, no. guys, they, murder they- is bad. They talk about murder the same way they talk about ratings. And that's what I love. And I love, you know, one of the most brilliant things that Sidney Lumet did is as the film goes on, it becomes more and more slick. It starts off with this really naturalistic look, almost documentary style, when they're on the streets of New York. And by the end of the movie, as Sidney Lumet puts it, it's like you're watching a commercial about people deciding that they need to kill someone. Mm. Yeah. And that's it's very true. And it's, uh, it, it is sharp and slick. Um, but it's also the movie is working on you as an audience member. It is just working you down the way that like we have been desensitized in media of being like, this is normal. Watching, you know, the Twin Towers fall was normal. And then now like watching the number, like big graphics of like millions of people dead from COVID. That's normal. Donald Trump, normal. You know, the coup, normal. Right. Normalizing all these things. And and what I will say, you know, I think it is still very sharp satire because the one thing we haven't seen yet is people murdered on live TV for, for ratings or whatever. You know, like we're not there yet, but like it is fucking wild. And there's the kind of kooky, crazy um, narrator narrator kind of overseeing all of it. Like, and that was, you know, <laughs> the first man who was shot on TV because of poor ratings. Um and it's it kind of like it's there's like this whiplash moment of being like, oh, you were desensitized and thinking like because we we're also kind of rooting for them. Right. We're rooting for the ratings. We're rooting for like, you know, things to succeed. Right. Um, but that's like the power of, you know, media. That's the, like we're applauding all this, you know, like we want to be entertained. Like we, we want the fortune teller uh, and all those things. Uh, but yeah, she's incredible. The movie's incredible. Um it's it, it it's it's a seminal a class instant classic and and she's so so good in it. And, so. and listen, we you know we talked about several other movies that she's amazing. I don't want people to walk away from this being like, "There's only one good Faye Dunaway movie." <laughs> like, obviously, <laughs> Bonnie and Clyde, like the you know so good. Chinatown. The, the these are classics for a reason. I would seek out Puzzle of a Downfall Child if you haven't. I, you know, Thomas Crown Affair is just the loveliest wallpaper. It truly <laughs> is. And um, even just the camp factor of the Three Musketeers and the Four Musketeers, like, um, and, and, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the wicked, wicked lady. lady. Yeah. 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 We love the wicked um, lady. We do. We, we love do. the wicked lady. I love, there's a story of the director who's like calling her Fazy, and she's like, you can't call me Fazy, And he's like, People think you're too serious, so I'm going to call you Fazy. Incredible. <laughs> um, but, I mean, she's a woman of many nicknames. I didn't even touch on the fact that, like, she claims that Michael Caine called her this, but Pictures Out of Revolution claims that it was the crew of Bonnie and Clyde. Because she was so thin, they called her Fade in a Way. Funny. And, yeah. uh, and I've heard that... Um, uh, Steve McQueen, because he was a dick on the Thomas Crown Affair, would call her Done Fade Away. Oh. Wow. <laughs> so, like, God, Steve, you can't be hot and an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but but Network is truly amazing. And I, I agree. I have some of those awful evil qualities 
as well. I mean, like, uh, you know, we, we're creatives. We we both make stuff for a living. Like, yeah. yeah. So- and it's, you know, I, I get so upset. This is so stupid. But like, I used to make all these Halloween videos every year and nobody fucking watched them. So I stopped making them. And one of my friends was like, no, if you love them, you should make them. And I was like, that doesn't matter. <laughs> like, my love of them doesn't matter. I no, need other people to love them. It's easy to get addicted to things like that. And there are certain things that she says to people where I stop and think like, oh, I've said something similar. Yeah. I should probably yeah. not. Yeah. Or yeah. Where, I, where I identify with her a little bit and even root for her sometimes in the yes. movie. So it's, it's a magic a na- trick. It's a nasty little mirror, but it's mm-hmm. so, so good. Um, okay, before we get into our fast forward, why would... Why don't we do our mixed reviews review? So my one star review was the terrible horror film, The Bye Bye Man, written by Jonathan Penner of Survivor fame. I forgot to mention that also. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. Who's better on Survivor, clearly, than as a writer of film. (laughs) And my five star review is Network. Amazing. Oh. My one-star review was 1979's The Champ, and my five-star review was also Network. My one-star review is 1981's Mommy Dearest, and also my five-star review is 1976's Network. Amazing. Let's get into the fast-forward. Miss Dunaway is booked and blessed. You know, she has, yeah. a, couple, she has a couple things coming up. Um... I wouldn't say I'm excited for them. Uh, <laughs> she she uh, is a, she will next appear in a film called Visceral, directed by Frederic Jardin. Um, in 2021, Variety reported that she would appear in The Man Who Drew God, which um, yeah. famously will be also starring Kevin Spacey. Um, which you know, I I. I wish I could be surprised, I guess, but she, she, she's worked with Kevin Spacey before. So I would not, um, uh, we didn't talk about this movie, um, Albino Albino Alligator, Alligator. which was the directorial debut of Kevin Spacey in 1996. Um, so yeah, I don't know. She hasn't talked about this film. Um, I don't think that there's a lot about this movie that's out right now. Yeah. It like already, it, premiered in russia like it's already out technically <laughs> it just hasn't uh, premiered in the u.s which you know maybe there's a reason for that mm-hmm. um but yeah, yeah. It, it, it like it played the tur the torino film festival in 2022 um and was released in march of this year Does in italy kevin spacey plays a blind artist um <laughs> oh no not no he plays a police detective faye dunaway is a braille teacher um, who the uh, Franco Nero is the uh, blind artist? Yeah, Franco uh, Nero also directed it. Um, who he, he's also said some questionable things of, of late. Um, yeah, it's just it seems <laughs> like a disaster all around. She said in a she she did this movie um, uh, a couple years ago that was another like the case for Christ, and she said on like the Today Show that she's kind of interested in getting into the world of these faith-based films and it's just like no 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 she's I about to be in a movie with dennis quaid one of these days i swear <laughs> i really I worried you say that on oscar wilde and i died <laughs> <laughs> i'm worried she's like leaning a little QAnon. like is she like yeah. the next jim caviezel you know oh. uh, <laughs> film moment I, i'm happy she wasn't in sound of freedom that would have been that would have been yeah. rough stuff rough. 
I pour Mira Sorvino. I pour Mira Sorvino. What is yeah. going on with these girls? Um, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't want to cast aspersions or judgment, but it does feel like that thing when, um, when you can't find your place in yeah. anywhere in Hollywood, wherever you find the worst place. Um, and, <laughs> and, and, and I think like, who would love to just manipulate and use a Hollywood star like Faye Dunaway? Oh, I don't know. Right. Republican right-wing fucktards. Like, it's just um, unfortunate. I I hope, I mean, and I did read a Harper's Bazaar interview where she was saying, I'm still taking acting classes. I'm still, you know. Oh, nice. She wanted to, like, join the Groundlings in LA. Funny. Um, oh. I don't know if that ever happened or not. Uh, I think she's very open for work and all that, but I unfortunately think her reputation and uh, I mean, even that play she did, you know, when she got fired off of it, it's like that was supposed to be her big Broadway comeback and deserve it or not, uh, whatever the thing, it it just sucks, you know, because she is such a talent um, and I, I do I want to see her fucking in a movie with Kevin Spacey? Nor. Um <laughs> but you know, I do appreciate the fact that she's 82 years old and wants to work. Right. I I do think it's also one of those things of, you know, it, it, she has such a reputation obviously that and, and you just addressed that. But also, and we've talked about this many times on our show before, an actress ages into the you know what's the Goldie Hawn? There's like three. Yeah. The, there's the you know the the bombshell, the the district attorney, and driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> yeah. Like and and she you know she's been driving Miss Daisy for a long time, which is funny because like if Jack Nicholson wanted to do a movie right now, people would let him. People would let him fuck like I don't know Jennifer's body in, yeah. in a movie <laughs> if he wanted to. Like yeah. uh, Megan Fox. Like the. Mm-hmm. You, and so we do treat our women incredibly differently and it's really unfortunate. However, like I don't, I don't think religious right films are, are the key. And I really hope that like she gets, she deserves one more thing. Cause what's she going to do? She's an old lady. You're going to stare at her wrong and she's going to break a hip. Like, so like she's, you know, her bark's worse than her bite at this point. Yeah. Just put her in a movie. Yeah. I just, I want her to be with the girls. I want her to be in Book Club or 80 for Brady. Yes. She needs to be oh in something God. like this. Oh my God. If there this. was a third, if there was a third Book Club movie where she played the villain. Oh my uh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Why haven't her and um, uh, Jane hooked up yet? Like, yeah. Jane, I know. Jane Fonda and Faye Dunaway as mortal enemies. Uh. We've been waiting oh, for this. I want her God. also just like on the press tour for these movies, like confronting Diane Keaton about why she drinks her Chardonnay with ice. Like I, yes. these moments <laughs> are going to happen if Faye is in a movie like this. Um, You know, and <laughs> she she is like she did this 2008 movie called Flick. Um, She said like and I read that she was like I I read the script and I loved it. Did it for nothing because I loved it. 
And so I still love that she she loves Hollywood. She loves yeah. the glamour. She loves the work. She is still that technician. Um, and so I know she's in there. Unfortunately, she is battling sexism and ageism. And um, she, someone just needs to fuck. Like, she needs Diane Keaton and Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin and all the girls to be like, who do we need next? And it's Faye. Faye needs to get in with the girls. Um, that I didn't even think about that. You're a genius, Sophia. We, who do we need to tweet to get this going? <laughs> we, I don't know, but we. It needs to happen. Like it's just, it's. I think my last wish for Faye really is yeah. just that she has something fun to do, and even if she takes it seriously, like she does with everything else, like <laughs> she would be able to lean into a villain role, and she would hopefully be able to have some fun with these women too. Her her contemporaries. Yeah, because she, yeah. again, I I think she's so funny. I think she, she is, she, and and <laughs> she is the technician. She is like right. Hollywood glamour. She's all these things, um, and I, you know, uh, her with um, Rita Moreno in a movie oh like Sally Field. <laughs> imagine, imagine. Um, I also, I mean. I don't know if we'll get it, but man, imagine if she was back on Broadway. God, what a I know. scene. I would be there for previews. <laughs> yes. I'm jealous of everyone who got to go see her in Hartford or whatever uh, to see T at five playing another oh, Boston in Boston. Boston. Yeah. An, an, an important to play... city to her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, play. I mean, she, she already played Joan Crawford. Now she was going to play Catherine Hepburn. Like, yeah, my God, and the, the reviews for that show were pretty good, actually, um, until the, she did get kicked out of that. Um, <laughs> but you know, reputation and all, she has an indelible legacy. Um, even if they just, I, I hope they use her more than just trotting her out for like very special Oscar awards. But if that's all we get, that's all we get because that's all we deserve. Um, <laughs> But I guess that wraps up Miss Faye Dunaway. What an icon. <laughs> truly, truly. Sophia, I'm so happy you brought her to us because I feel like she's somebody we've been dancing around for a really long time. But I, I truly think she's so important. And like, you know, both for Hollywood and for fashion and for acting. And like, I I don't know. What a consummate performer. A touchy subject sometimes, but consummate performer all the way. Uh, the, Sophia, now's perfect, your chance. The perfect mixed reviews subject, though. because oh, absolutely. Because mm-hmm. the reviews are mixed. Are mixed. mixed. <laughs> are mixed. <laughs> uh, but Sophia, now's your opportunity to plug your stuff, whatever you have going on, where people can find you online, plug your wonderful show. Thank you so much. It was so much fun, you guys, to talk about Faye Dunaway and her wild journey as an actress. I do love her so much flaws and all. And you can find my show, Oscar Wilde. We release episodes every Friday. We cover the current, you know, film season, current releases, but we also love doing our retrospectives on past Oscar years, performers. We had an entire month dedicated to Faye Dunaway called May Dunaway, where we looked at Uh, some of her films. And it was very fun. It's when I discovered Supergirl, really, in all of its glory. So go back and Incredible. listen to those. But yeah, you can find us on um, Twitter and Instagram at Oscar Wilde Pod. And 
Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Sophia underscore Sim, C-I-M, and Letterboxd at the same handle. Thank you guys again. Supergirl famously Oscar snubbed. Can't believe it. I know, Uh, Yeah, just Brenda Vaccaro for supporting. (laughs) Um, um, That's a joke for only me. Um, The the breathe-in. Never mind. I'll explain it later. Um, I do just real quick, and like if if you do not listen to Oscar Wilde, I cannot stress enough. I think Sophia, oh, you. you are so I love I love listening to film people who are so clearly passionate, who know their shit, but also like feel like real people oh, and like thanks. are people I want to hang out with. <laughs> Thank you. And, and so like when I when I listen to your show, I'm like God, like so smart, so you know, like I I love it. So yeah, oh, I highly recommend Oscar Wilde thanks if so you much. are not listening to it. Oh no problem. You you do great work. Uh, but speaking of the great work, which we are here to do every month, you can always find the mixed reviews on Twitter at at the mixed reviews. We're on Facebook. Just type in the mixed reviews. Uh, if you want to email us, you can always write us little love letters at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram at the underscore mixed underscore reviews. And if you want to leave us a podcast rating and review, you can find us on any podcast app. And I do mean any podcast app. So just drop by, leave us a five-star rating, write a little review, and we'll read it on the show. Yeah, you can join us on Patreon. We have merch over at Redbubble. We are all over the place. Join us on Discord where we have lots of fun. Um, we And we are now a proud member of the Glitter Jaw Podcast Collective. So check out their other podcasts not yeah. just ours. Yeah, for all your queer uh, media uh, hot takes and, and fun. Um, we have a good time. Um, so thank you guys for listening so much. We will catch you next month for another great app, another great subject. Sophia, thank you so much again. We loved having you. Um, good night and good pot, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.